I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. Today, we're talking with Shari Hawkins, a Team USA heptathlete with her sights set on the Tokyo Olympic Games, which are set to begin on July 23rd. Shari spends roughly seven hours a day training for the seven events of the women's heptathlon, the 100-meter hurdles, the high jump, the shot put, the 200-meter sprint, the long jump, the javelin throw, and the 800-meter run. The heptathlon competition takes place over a grueling two days that requires an intense level of physical and mental preparation and a sharp focus on the diet that keeps it all going. Shari, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Most young girls do not grow up with their sights set on heptathlon. So can you just walk us through a little bit how you got into this particular event? Yeah. So to be completely honest, I was not a fan of track at all because I just didn't like to run. Like I like to do volleyball and basketball. I was a gymnast. Like I want to do like things I thought were like, just like really fun, like more play type of things. And all of my friends were like, Hey, do you want to come be on the cross country team? And I said, no. I'm not going to be running for, that's not fun for me. (laughs) Absolutely not. But then my friends would always talk about like how much fun they had at practice. And I kind of got a little bit of FOMO. So when track season came around, I was like, okay, like I'll do it just because I didn't want to really be left out. And I learned that there's so much more to track than just running. There's jumping, there's throwing, there's getting over high bars and there's a lot. It's actually a really fun event. So it kind of just became something that I was super into and I couldn't choose between events. And so I did a lot of different ones. And then I learned that there was this thing called the heptathlon, which is seven different track and build events. It's hurdles, high jump, shot put, 200 meter dash. And then that's all day one. And then you come back on day two and you do long jump, javelin, and then you finish with an 800. And I think that just that all that variety, it it really keeps it super interesting. And I love the challenge of learning events that I never would have thought I could participate in. And there is some running in there, but you kind of just like, you learn to really like appreciate, you know, all the hard work that goes into each event and the skill that goes into each event, even the running events. So it's been an amazing thing to learn. And the heptathlon is just so much fun. How old were you when you did your first heptathlon? My first heptathlon, I think I was 18 years old. So I was pretty late bloomer. They wanted me to do it for college. And so that's kind of like when I started. And during high school, you did like you competed in the high jump or the javelin or something. So in high school, my four events were I did the hurdles, the high jump and the long jump. And then I was also I would do like the four by two kind of a thing on my team. So yes, my events were just kind of like the jumping and the hurdling. And then I learned like, hey, did you know there's like an opportunity, you know, you can only do four events here, but there's an opportunity to be able to do like a lot more in college. And so I was like, okay, like, let's try it out. And I loved it. It was so fun. Which of the disciplines is your favorite and why? It's so crazy because I feel like I used to say my favorite events are the high jump and the hurdles just because I've done them the longest. I feel like they're the ones I'm the most comfortable with. But as I continue to progress in my career. You know, I love, I love the shot put. I love practicing for the shot put. I love competing for the shot put. So, and I think it's also becoming one of my best events. And so that's exciting too. I think that honestly, the events in the heptathlon remind me a lot of math in like school. When you understand math, when you get it and you know how to solve the equation, 
it's actually really fun. It's like one big giant puzzle piece. And that's kind of how I see track and field is when you understand what's going on and what you're supposed to be doing, you can do like the tiniest little tweaks and you can see a huge difference. Perfect example. Yesterday we were doing a shot put practice and I've started to understand the event so well that my coach decided she was going to completely break down the technique that I was doing so that we could learn how to use and better incorporate your hips, which are the strongest parts of your body. That's why you're supposed to throw. And normally that is not something that you would do. You would never just break down somebody's complete event, like kind of almost the beginning of a season. But just because I've started to understand it so much, I was able to have my technique broken down and put it back together in a way that was so much more beneficial. So I love all the events because it's so much fun to be able to learn how to do them. I think the 200 is probably the one that I'm still trying to put the pieces together because yeah, I'm running it wrong. However I'm running it, I'm running it incorrectly. So that's the one that I'm still, you know, really working on figuring out it's the math problem I haven't solved yet. So, but other than that, I really find myself really enjoying just every single one of the events. You haven't figured it out. You have 20 seconds to do it. That's, that's crazy. The 200. I know. Yeah. So much more technical than people would imagine. And such a frustrating event if you don't understand. Just like math, honestly, like math is so frustrating. Everybody hates it when they don't get it. But when you get it, it's like, ah, I got it. Okay, cool. So still waiting for that one. I'm sure that you have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with these events and that sometimes you really enjoy it. Sometimes you're not enjoying it so much. Is it directly reflected in your performance that you run a great 200 when you're having fun training for the 200? Or does it not work that way? I think that, you know what, I think that the amount that I understand it, the most important part of me for understanding is not necessarily because it's going to help me do better. It helps calm my nerves when I'm actually competing. So like the enjoyment at practice, I mean, even if you're not really understanding it, it's pretty fun, but it does get a little frustrating. It more just when it comes down to competition, if you're in a space where you're not understanding an event, it really is nerve wracking. It kind of gives you a little bit of anxiety, which can tighten up your muscles, which can make you not do well. So I think I always like to say, like, if I'm feeling calm and upbeat, like I'm probably going to do pretty well in the heptathlon. And if I feel confident in each of the events, like it pretty much is going to help me lower that anxiety and so that I can just like focus and feel and go compete and have fun. You mentioned that you like the high jump and I had read that you like the high jump. Is that one of the ones that you just really understand because you've been doing it since you were young? Yes. I think also it's so funny because I actually don't think I've ever talked about this, but when I was at my childhood home, there were four little steps that got up onto this like really tall concrete building to get into my house. And when I was young, I would literally sprint to that house and I would jump all the way up all five of those steps to the side, all the way up onto the concrete off of one foot, much like you would in an actual high jump event. And I did that even before I even knew what the high jump was. I did that even when I was like little, I would just jump up on it. And I know this is so weird, but it kind of really prepared me for what the high jump is. And so I think the high jump is one of my favorite events just because without even realizing it, I've been doing it since I was little, those same movements and that I've just always understood the concept of it just because I've always done it. And so it feels more like something that I don't have to try to do. And there are times where, you know, I try to tweak something or something feels a little off, but I actually told my coach one time, like if I go back and I'm not doing well in the high jump and something's not clicking for me, I literally 
erase everything out of my mind. And I try to go back to those five steps that lead up to my childhood home and how I jump up on them. And it tends to come back pretty naturally. So I've loved it mostly probably because it's been in my life before I even knew that it was in my life. That's, that's cool. And, and probably being able to tap into just the joy of being a kid is helpful as well. It's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. So I had heard that you train from 10.30 to 3 p.m. each day. I now know that you have a morning session as well. What does a day of training look like for you as you lead up to these Olympics? It kind of just depends on the day, to be honest. So Wednesdays are usually my more relaxed days. I'll have either massage therapy and physical therapy, that kind of thing. But in every other day, like yesterday, I can kind of go through. I woke up and I did weights from 7 to 8.30. And then I hit practice at 10.30 and I was at practice until two. And then at two, I did physical therapy until 3.30. And then I went home, made sure to fuel up right away and obviously always bringing food and fuel with me as well. But it's really just about... And then the rest of the night was really spent just trying to recover my body as much as possible so that I could kind of do the same thing today. Tomorrow will be a little bit more of an off day and then I'll hit Thursday, Friday again. So do you train all events every day? Do you do like a little of everything every day or do you spend a whole day working on one thing? How do you break up the week as it pertains to each of the heptathlon events? Yeah, so not every day is going to be the same. Like we won't always do like shot put and high jump together, but sometimes we will. So usually we'll pick two events that we'll do. So yesterday we did long jump and shot put. And then that was paired with a day of lifting, obviously, and then a physical therapy. And with physical therapy, like yesterday's physical therapy was more of a physical part than the actual therapy part. We did like a lot of, like right now, I've been working so hard on getting my glute meads really strong. And because of that, my glute meads are stronger in proportion to my glute max. And so now we're working on getting my glute max stronger. So we're doing like very specific strengthening where in weights, we do overall strength absolute strength. And then in physical therapy, we're really working on those functional movements so that every single thing that I'm doing, it's more prehab so that I'm not, something isn't underdeveloped so that I'm not getting injured. It's really about staying healthy and all that kind of stuff. I was going to ask you what your lifts look like nowadays. Do you, do you lift heavy? Is that a lot of plyo? Is it explosive stuff that you're trying to train? Yeah. So right this minute, I'm doing a very loaded it's really heavy and it's super loaded. And then next cycle, it's, so it'll be loaded for another three weeks. And then next cycle will be a lot of just like light and super explosive as we get ready to do our actual competitions. So my first, I'll have like mini competitions at the end of March and the beginning of April. My first big competition will be the end of April. So we'll train through the first two competitions. And then in the big heptathlon that I'm going to be doing, we'll start getting like a lot more quick and explosive. Cool. I was watching a lot of the tutorials you post on Instagram, teaching people the mechanics of A skips, B skips, C skips. First of all, I want you to talk about what they are and why they're important. But also as someone who says she doesn't really like to run, you do practice a lot of these running mechanics. Yeah. I mean, honestly, running, it's so funny because running is so much more technical than we give it credit for. A lot of people just think that, you know, anybody can run and that is true. Anybody can run, but not everybody runs efficiently. And sometimes the efficiency in your runs, not only do they make you 
run faster and make you last longer in your runs, but they can prevent injuries. So it's really important to make sure that we're getting like the right mechanics when we run. And I didn't know that the right mechanics existed really. Like I knew that sprint drills were there, but I didn't know. I thought they were just a warm up. I always thought like A skips, B skips, that kind of stuff. They were, it was just to warm us up, you know, like it's a really interesting warm up. And now really looking at trying to figure it out like it's a math equation and why we do things. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's improved my overall competition level is just being able to ask why, why do I do this? Every time my coach gives me a cue to do, I ask why, and she tells me why I do it. And so when I'm actually doing the cue, I know why, and I can really focus on the why, and it helps me actually follow through better. And I always say that to like coaches is if you can tell your kids why you're having them do something, they'll listen to the cue and the purpose behind it. And it's probably going to connect a lot better. And I think that that's what A skips and B skips do. Like, I mean, A skips really teach you to get your knees up and right back down underneath you, which is what running is, is you want to make sure that you're striking the ground right underneath your hips. And it's really just helping you practice that. B skips are really about getting that negative foot strike. So we kick out we bring it right back underneath us in a negative formation because the only way that we're going to be moving forward is if we bring our feet back and we have that negative foot strike, which propels us forward. And I mean, to me, C-skips have always been like kind of like the high knees or the butt kicks, but other people were like, that's not a C-skip. So I looked up what they thought a C-skip was and I was like, okay, I guess this is a C-skip now. And to me, C-skips are more of just like hurdling, understanding proper mechanics when you hurdle, how to bring the hip to the side and all of that kind of stuff, which I think is really good too. It's interesting because if you say, like when you say, when you ask why, if a coach were to tell a kid, just do a skip and the kids, I don't want to do that. But if you say it's going to teach you your rebounding ability and improve, and then they are actually able to feel that elasticity, they connect that sort of feeling to the instruction. And it really is better if you understand what you're doing. That's cool. Absolutely. And I mean, that's true in any regard. I mean, if we don't know why we're doing specific math homework, I feel like a lot of people, I know I keep going back to math. I don't know why. I know a lot of people did math in school and I think that they understand for the most part that when you understand it, it's fun. And if you know why you're doing something, it's easier to connect. And it's the same thing with your body. Like your body and your brain are so similar and it's so important to train your body and it's so important to train your brain. And I think a really interesting because the drill, the drill is training your body, but the understanding of why it's training your body is training your brain and being able to train both your body and your mind is really the thing that makes the connection better and makes you better. So I also saw on your Instagram that you do a lot of jumping rope. I personally love to jump rope. I remember the first time I did a hundred double unders in a row, I was like dancing around the room. Why is jumping rope so essential to your training? So when I first started jump roping, I actually had a jump rope. So it was, I'm right, actually I'm right outside. I just got done with practice. And so I'm right outside my practice facility. So the place that I left. So, but I had a jump roping coach and he was so awesome, but he would teach me not just for fitness, but he would teach me like cool tricks. And he would show me like how to do like things that I never thought I was going to be able to do. And it was me understanding like how much jump rope 
yes, it's so awesome for your physical body. And it's just like fun to do anyways, but it is so cool because it's just a puzzle for your brain and a puzzle for your body and figuring it out and doing it over and over again. And then finding that connection. I mean, it helped me so much making connections in my actual sport. I absolutely love jump rope, not just for the fun of actual jumping rope, but what it does for my mental training as well. That's really cool. You mentioned before that you, you know, you leave your house, you've got this morning practice, the afternoon practice, and you're bringing stuff with you to fuel all day. What does a day of eating look like for you? So, I mean, right before I came here this morning, I just had like a super quick cereal, banana, and then like some collagen protein came here. As soon as I'm finished home, I'll grab myself some like hearty whey protein and grab myself a bowl of oatmeal for like second breakfast, (laughs) um, like the hobbits do. And I'll probably make myself also a sandwich just so that I can have throughout the day. I'll cut it in half. And that way I can have it like probably in between events at practice. And then if for some reason, like at physical therapy afterwards, actually today I did my physical therapy before. So I'll do my weights today after practice. So right before weights, I'll have the second half of the sandwich, do my weight practice. And then when I get home, I am so obsessed with right now, I I have collagen and MCT powder combo and it's like this vanilla flavor. It's so good. I put it with almond milk and then I do a full fresh peach and I just peel it and put a peach in there and then some ice. And I swear it is so good. And so I'll probably have that as soon as I get home. And then, yeah, and then I'll start making dinner. I'm a big, you know, last night I did just pasta and asparagus chicken kind of a thing. And tonight I'll probably do some rice, broccoli, maybe some chicken. I also have like some Vienna sausages that I could throw on. So that kind of thing, just trying to eat as balanced as possible. I try really hard not to do too much cutting out of things, but I also, I'm not a big sweet tooth. So it's really helpful because I don't like crave a lot of sweets all the time, but I mean, like on Valentine's day, like I got, I went and got ice cream and that kind of thing. And I'll like have ice cream every now and then, but not too crazy. I really just want to try to make my body, like fuel my body as much as possible. And for me, it's really important just to get enough to eat because I think a lot of times we're just not getting enough. And whenever I talk to young athletes, I always say like, you need to fuel your body because I remember there were times where I wouldn't even eat lunch and I would just go through like basketball or volleyball practice, like it was nothing. And then I'd eat dinner when I got home and it just wasn't a big deal to me. But like our bodies are really our machines. And I've said this like a bunch of times that I used to think of my body as a statue and it was something that was to be looked at. And so I would need it to look a specific way in order for it to be worthy. And I've learned that our bodies are actually not statues at all because we don't just sit there doing nothing all day. We're (laughs) machines. We move, especially as athletes. Like We have to like get stuff done. You can't expect your car to run and do like a huge road trip without fueling it, without making sure it has oil, without making sure that it is always having enough gas in it. Like it's going to run out. It's going to die. It's not going to work. And for us to expect the same thing out of our own bodies, it doesn't make any sense. Like we need to fuel our bodies in the right way and making sure that, you know, we're changing the tires and we're doing like all the things that we need to do in order to make our bodies do what we want them to do. I think a lot of women do struggle with the eating enough and also eating enough protein. You mentioned that you do collagen and whey protein, that those are obviously supplements. What do you feel like they add to your overall nutrition? Well, the first thing is it is so hard when you're like always on the go to always eat your protein. And it would be like, I mean, if I had the opportunity to always just like 
I mean, it, it probably wouldn't be too bad for me to just have a bag of chicken and just snack on chicken all day. But like for me, like the supplement, it's really nice to have conveniently good protein to be able to like fuel your body. And it, it helps keep some variety in it too. Like, I think if I was just having like spoonfuls of ground Turkey, like shoveling it in, I, I think I'd be kind of like, oh, okay, huh. like enough, you know? So I think it's good to have a little bit of variety as well, which I appreciate that. So yeah, I, I love a good supplement just because it's unrealistic for me to sit here on this podcast and say like, Hey, like if you want to get enough protein, you better go eat just go make a bunch of like little ground beef things that you can shovel in at any given day and time yourself. It's, it's just not as sustainable as we'd like it to be. I mean, in an ideal world, of course, but it's always so nice to be able to have supplements because it just helps. It helps us get what we need without making our brains go crazy. I honestly think if I had to time every single thing that I ate, I know I would do it because I have severe OCD when it comes to training and doing everything as perfectly as possible. But I also know that that kind of thing comes at expense. And I think my mental health is not really worth doing all of that because I know that I would get way too obsessed with it. And at that point, it's like, you got to be obsessed with your training. You can't be too obsessed with everything else as long as you're making sure that your body's taken care of. It would be great though, if they would pan over to the sidelines during a, an event and everyone was eating meatballs out of their duffel bags. It'd be yeah, super fun. It would be. That'd be cool. I think it'd be great. We'd all be like, yeah, cheers. Here's my chicken finger. Yeah, no, exactly. You said you don't really have a sweet tooth. If you have a cheat day, what does a cheat day look like for you? Oh, I would say a cheat day is like Chick-fil-A or it's like going out. It's going to Texas Roadhouse and eating a bunch of rolls, you know, and and I think it's more the amount than the thing. Like usually if it's like a really big cheat day, I'll just let myself just eat everything, you know, all the time instead of being more calculated. I feel like right now my food is my fuel. And so whenever I'm eating for like just pure enjoyment, it's always fun. What do you do for, I'm sure you incorporate some sort of recovery into every day. And then I'm sure you also have some recovery full days. What do you do for your recovery? So, I mean, my recovery, it just kind of depends. So like on Wednesday, that's going to be like a really big recovery day where I'll get like a full body tissue massage and make sure that I'm doing like all of that kind of stuff in the way that needs to happen. And then... But like every night, like, I mean, I have my Normatec, which is like so helpful. I have all of my like hyper ice tools that are amazing that I'm always using. But another thing that I love doing, and I've talked a lot about this on my social media as well, is the hot cold therapy where I get like two like buckets and I'll put one with hot water and one with ice water and I'll go back and forth and back and forth. And I am a diehard fan of that. The other week I actually mini strained my ab. It put me out for like three days or something like that. It wasn't anything crazy, but I just went, I put a Ziploc bag. I got one full of hot water, one full of ice water. And I just put them on five minutes cold, three minutes hot. And it was like in one day, the next day I literally felt like a new woman it was just the best thing ever. So I always highly recommend that kind of thing. That's actually probably my favorite type of therapy. I also have a red light at my house. So make sure to red light. I love it. Um, I have a Nimbus web, which helps charge your cells all positively so that they can move a little bit better and all the gadgets that you can possibly imagine. So trying to like incorporate all of that too. And it's always fun because you can watch a movie and recover at the same time. So I kind of justify it as like, okay, I'm relaxing, but I'm also working and that kind of stuff. And I mean, again, it is so important to make sure that you're taking care of your body, but is it sustainable to spend 
all of your time and money on recovery? Probably not. Right now, that's like my full time job, so it makes more sense for me. But if I were just gonna, if I was gonna say, you know, for anybody who just wants to recover and they love running, they love working out, and they just want to make sure they're doing as much recovery as possible, I would always say making sure that you're rolling out, making sure that you're stretching twice a day. And then the hot cold therapy, if you're ever having any like issues, like that's probably the three things that I would suggest. The Normatec you mentioned, that's the compression boost that you sit in for a while and watch TV just for the people who might not know what that is. And then the hyper ice stuff that you mentioned, which, what are your favorite? I have a hyper volt. I love that. Are you using the massage guns or using the ice products? Yeah. So I love the hypervolts. And then there's two other vibrating kind of like rollers. There's the vibe, which is the vibrating foam roller, which if you are somebody who likes foam rolling, but you also hate it because it just hurts, obviously, then highly full <laughs> roller. It reminds me a lot of a vibrating toothbrush, how if you just get more bang for your buck, you know, and there's something about that roller that makes foam rolling a lot easier because the vibrations, they just help loosen everything up. It's so much better than a regular foam roller for sure. In fact, like there's been times where the, I'll let the battery go so low that it'll turn off. And I'm like, no, I have to now roll out without the vibration, like first world problems, but still. (laughs) You obviously sleep is super important to recovery. How important is that for you? And how do you ensure you get a good night's sleep? Yeah. So my physical therapist actually did a lot of research on sleep and she kind of has determined that there's two really important, like it's really all about getting the right cycles in and our cycles usually work in 90 minute cycles. And so you should probably be waking up on 90 minute cycles. And that looks like 90 minutes and then three hours and then four hours and 30 minutes and then six hours and then seven hours and 30 minutes and then nine hours. So a lot of people say like, make sure you're getting eight hours of sleep, but that's actually with her like studies that she's doing over the last few years, she's actually learned that eight hours of sleep is actually not an ideal amount of sleep. If you are going to be getting that amount of sleep, you should probably either go for seven and a half hours and wake up that extra half hour early, or you need to be going up to nine hours. And so I always try to get nine hours of sleep. There have been definitely, definitely times where I have gotten 10 and a half hours of sleep, (laughs) but really working within those cycles is super important just because it's better for your body to be getting a full cycle and waking up on an even cycle than it would be to get that extra half hour of sleep, which is interesting to me, I thought at least. It's very interesting. And I think that that has, I've read a little bit about this too, something to do with your REM cycles and how your body fixes like its neuroplasticity in that REM cycle. And if you interrupt it, it hasn't been like cemented. Well, we would have to get an expert on to come and talk about this, but I've actually, I've definitely heard that too. You do a lot of mental training. What does that look like for heptathlon? Oh my goodness. So mental, I mean, honestly, I talk about this a lot on like my stories and stuff. I always say, you know, Hey, this is a really great time for mental training opportunity. If you guys want to do it along with me and it's as easy as man, I do not feel motivated today, but I'm aware of it. So let me do some self-talk and talk to myself about what my day is going to look like and how I can make it the best day possible with the way that I'm feeling, you know? maybe I'm feeling super tired or really run down or my ankles hurting me or something like that. And I close my eyes. I started off by just saying like how grateful I am. And then what do I want overall? And then what do I want out of today? How can I get it? And then telling myself, you know, sometimes just showing up and doing it 
is enough. So let's show up, let's do it and let's do it the best way we can. And that's whether people think it or not, that's its own form of mental training all the way to, I mean, I have my height that I want to do for my high jump events. I have it taped up onto my wall and it's as easy as visual training for that. Another thing that I think I'm going to do is put the distance that I want to jump in my long jump down the hallway of my bathroom so that I can visualize that mark as well. Visualization, I do journaling every night. I talk about the things that I'm grateful for and what I'm looking to accomplish all the way to when my coach my coach is amazing at helping mentally train during practice because during practice, she will say things like, all right, let's imagine that we are at the Olympic trials and this is the scenario. And then we focus up doing that kind of thing and getting yourself into the zone at practice really allows you to be able to tap into that more in competition as well. So, I mean, visualization and mental training, I mean, it works so many different ways. I would consider jump roping a big part of mental training, especially connecting like the body to the brain. And I do a lot. I actually have a mental coach. So she and I work a lot on connecting the body to the brain and it, she'll give me like random words that I have to like create a story in. And it's really fun. Like we do a lot of like different types of things in that regard too, but mental training, I mean, it happens constantly. And the great thing is I'm hoping that even after track is said and done years to come, this, the mental training that I've learned over the past year and a half will definitely help me just in the future as well. So when you are moving through a day of competition, you have three events on one day and four events on the next day and say one doesn't go the way you want. You have another one coming up. So many people can relate to like having what they think is a crappy performance and having to move past it. How do you do that when you have to do it and perform in the next event? Yeah. So there's been a lot of times where, cause I've had a lot of coaches over the years and I've had coaches say, you know, you need to really be able to compartmentalize like each of these events. And so it's okay to be excited about doing well in events. You can be excited, but then you have to recalibrate and you have to say, okay, it's not over yet. And it happens the same way. If you do maybe poor an event is you, it's okay to feel bad for a second, feel bad and then move on and really focus on the next event. And another coach told me, you have to pretend that you're, you have seven different personalities in your life. And so the hurdler can be excited about doing well in hurdles or the hurdler can be not excited. But as soon as you become the high jumper, because the hurdle, the high jump is following the hurdles. As soon as you become a high jumper, like you can't be the hurdler anymore. So the hurdler might be upset over that event past you could be upset, but you're not past you anymore. You're present you. And I think sometimes keeping those things into perspective, it really does help, especially if you can internalize them and believe them because it's one thing to hear it. But if you really like internalize the thing that you're hearing and really attempt to do it, like that's when it's going to be a lot better. How did the postponement of the Olympics affect your training and maybe test these mental capabilities? Gosh. So (laughs) the first thing that we learned was the Olympics are probably going to be canceled. That was the first thing. And I was like canceled and I was so stressed out. And the second thing was the Olympics are going to happen for sure. But we were all in lockdown and there was nowhere to train. There was nothing to do. And I was like, it's still like really early in training. I was still very much needing to get in and lift and get in and run. And I definitely wasn't in a place to just be like doing at home workouts 
to train for the Olympics. Like that was not going to cut it. So that was very, very stressful. So when the Olympics first got postponed, there was a sigh of, I think, relief in a lot of people's eyes, not because they wanted the Olympics postponed, but because they wanted to be able to truly train and be able to go to the Olympics at the best capability that they could be. And so I think there was like a little bit of relief knowing that A, it's not going to be canceled and B, I'm actually going to be able to train for it. But I ended up getting surgery because of the postponement of the Olympics. And it was the best thing that I could have done because once they got in there, they actually said that almost every ligament in my ankle was actually torn. And we didn't realize that it was that bad, but now I have so much more stability. I can actually push off of that ankle and we're coming up, I think on nine months post-surgery. And it's awesome. Like, I mean, I'm so, I'm so grateful that I did it, but going through surgery, knowing that we're a year out from the Olympics is really mentally stressful. And it's taken a lot of, I wouldn't say a mental toll. It's taken a lot of mental strength to really push through. And I mean, I'm not going to sit here. I remember saying, I was like, what if I just like surprised the world, and, like went and won the Olympics and everybody was like, wow. And I was like, and then they did a documentary on me and all of my team was like, no, she cried every day. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, there was a point where I was just beside myself constantly. And I, I mean, I would say that I, I train mentally a lot, but I'm still, I am a person, I'm a human and like, I get stressed and I get frustrated and I want things to go faster than they're going. And I'm not patient as much as I should be. And even with this amazing team that's like, be patient, we've got you, like, trust us. I'm like, no, you know? So yes, it's been like a really mentally challenging year, I think for all of us. And I think the Olympic postponement was like, not even close to comparison about what so many other people have been through. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I think that really genuinely like moving forward and trusting as much as you can. There were times where I was sobbing, being like, I trust the process, but I'm just frustrated. And, <laughs> and I think that, that that's okay. It's okay to feel your emotions. And I think it's okay to be in a rut. And I think as long as you trust, like this is going to work out, I'm just feeling this way now. Like it's okay to be human and it's okay to be frustrated. And I mean, I train mentally every day and I'm still breaking down, crying and being upset and all that. It happens. It happens to everybody. How's the ankle now? It's doing, you know, it's crazy. My ankle's doing great. It's just, it's been such a slow process getting back to the track. And have I been training since August? Absolutely. But I've been training all of those little tiny, cute little muscles. So now that we're revving up, it's just about keeping everything else under control. So, I mean, I go to physical therapy five times a week and just make sure that we're getting everything. And I mean, I'm feeling really hopeful. And I mean, yesterday I was able to do long jump and that's the event that I actually hurt myself in. So being able to do it and feel confident about it, it's, it's great. So it's doing well and hopefully it can just keep moving forward and we can keep going. So it'll be good. So the Olympic trials are coming up in June in Oregon. Where can yes. people see you compete on the way to those Olympic trials? What other meets will you be participating in? Yeah. So right now on my schedule, we've got meet coming up. It's called the Aztec invite. I don't know if they're going to be showing that on the internet or if they're going to be having people that are able to go, but that's going to be the end of the 24th. So I will hopefully be able to give just like updates on my social media. And then there's the APU multi-classic, which is coming up the 9th and 10th. And then I haven't decided if I'm going to be going to Italy or not at the end of April. So those so far are what's on my 
docket at the moment. So we're thinking end of March, beginning of April, and then end of April for now. Cool. And can you just give folks a rundown of your social media so they can follow you and get the updates? Yeah. So my Instagram is underscore Shari Hawkins. C-H-A-R-I is how you spell my first name. I don't know why my parents named me that, but (laughs) whatever. It it is. It's cool, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, underscore Shari Hawkins. And then that is the same for my TikTok. And then you can also look me up. I have a YouTube channel where I try to give a little bit more breakdown to anything. And I have a Twitter, but I, I'm honestly forget Twitter exists constantly. Like, honestly, I'll be like, I haven't posted on Twitter in eight months. <laughs> I literally forgot it, it even existed. So you can follow me on there, but I always try to do better, but <laughs> I wouldn't waste my time. I don't know. I'm just, I'll, every once in a while, I'll give you a golden nugget on there, but it's mostly because I'm like having a hard, usually when it's Twitter, it's me trying to convince myself that I'm doing good. So go. go on Twitter and follow me so that you can know when I'm having a mental breakdown because I'll post on Twitter. So <laughs> we'll send good. them to your Instagram instead though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Shari, thank you so much for doing of this. Of course, um, thanks for having me. Good luck. Best of luck with the ankle, with the Olympic trials. Let's hope it all goes off without a hitch and yeah. go USA. Thanks so much to Shari for joining us today. Be sure to follow along as she competes in the USA Track and Field Olympic Trials from June 18th to 27th at Hayward Field at the University of Oregon. Next time on Food of the Gods, we sit down with big man Bradley Bozeman of the Baltimore Ravens, a guard on the NFL's top rushing offensive line. At 6'5", 330 pounds, Bozeman can push some serious weight and pack in some serious calories. You'll be stunned by what he eats before and after games and pleasantly surprised by how his focus on food intake has led him and his wife, Nikki, a former college athlete herself, to focus on food security for kids. Until then, for more information, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com, follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod, or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com.